This is the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. Make yourself comfortable and fasten your seatbelt. Tom and his guests are about to share powerful stories, trade business building insights, and have a few laughs. Tom created this podcast to help you captivate prospects and inspire them to act so you can get more clients quickly and easily. That's what powerful storytelling is all about. That's what this podcast is all about. So let's get this party started. Here's your host, Tom Ruich. Hello and welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. I'm Tom Ruich. And today's episode is titled, How to Humanize Your Business Story and Why It Matters. As always, I'm going to kick off today's episode with a brief story before I introduce today's guest. 15 years ago, in January 2007, Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone during his keynote address at the Macworld conference in San Francisco. Standing on stage in his blue jeans and that black mock turtleneck, Jobs whipped the crowd into a frenzy by confirming the Apple phone had arrived. And then it was time to reveal it. Three minutes into the presentation, he said, today, Apple is going to reinvent the phone. And here it is. The room went silent. And then that giant screen behind Steve Jobs showed the image of a big white iPod music player with a rotary telephone dial attached below the track list window. The crowd exploded in laughter. It was a funny joke. So there's this guy named Peter McGraw. He studies humor. He's a marketing and psychology professor at the University of Colorado Boulder. In a column he wrote, McGraw said, Steve Jobs' keynote launching the iPhone clocked in at 0.6 laughs per minute. McGraw said, not good enough for Letterman, but better than most new comics. 0.6 per minute translates to one laugh every 100 seconds. And according to McGraw, that's comedy gold for Apple. Humor breaks the ice. It builds bonds. It makes you memorable. It earns you trust. It helps the bottom line. McGraw puts it this way, quote, humor can help brands cut through a cluttered marketplace. A well-executed joke grabs attention, sticks in customers' memories better than most ad campaigns could, and injects brands into water cooler conversation. It also has the benefit of making companies seem more human. Amen to that. Apple is a technology company dishing out devices that are much like all the other gadgets on the market. I know Apple lovers out there will argue with that and they'll tell me that their devices are far superior. Let's not have that debate. Let's just agree that there's a reason Apple is the technology company. There's a reason Apple is a $2 trillion company, and that is that Apple is more human. Apple has a sense of humor. Apple tells better stories. Steve Jobs did it in his keynotes. The company does it in countless masterpiece advertisements. I know business people who make me laugh in casual conversation, great senses of humor, great personalities, great storytellers. But when the time comes to write an email or post to their blog or say something on social media, 
they leave all that personality behind. They get so darn serious. Please put some personality in your copy. Tell stories. Inject some humor. You don't have to write a stand-up routine. You don't have to keep score and count laughs per minute. You don't even have to be all that funny. Just be human. The more human you are in your business, the more human your business relationships will be. That's good for your clients and that's good for you. That's good for your business and that's good for your spirit. All of which leads me today to my guest, Donna Laughlin. She is the founder of LMGPR and known for her work with futurists and innovators. Donna works with a lot of technology companies, and she's all about helping them humanize their story. She's launched more than 500 companies, taking them from stealth to market leaders since forming her agency in 2002. She is also the host of Before It Happened, a leading narrative podcast featuring visionaries and the moments, events, and realizations that inspired them to change our lives for the better. Donna excels in the realm of storytelling, and she uses those skills to, excuse me, to propel new companies into the mainstream. Donna, welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. Oh, thank you so much, Tom. I'm excited to be here. You know, talk about apple a lot. I grew up on an apricot orchard in uh, what is now called the Silicon Valley, which was at the time called the Land of Heart's Delight or in San Jose. And I'm just miles away from Apple computer. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's changed a little bit in the years since uh, since you grew up there, I'm, I'm sure. And uh, And you mentioned, by the way, when we were talking before we got on the call that you have done work for Apple over the years. So I, uh, I'm sure that my references to some of the masterpiece ads, the sense of humor, the storytelling uh, rang, rang true. You're very familiar with that. Yeah. Well, and also the Apple developer community, that was one of the, the, the parts of Apple that I first worked on and talk about humanizing the experience and really having a, at the ground floor, um, engineers and developers corporate working with the the developer community and really curating and turning it into the culture that we all know today. There's no happy accident that when you walk into an Apple store that there, you feel like you're going into a small town, right? And, and it's like-minded people that are there hanging out, you know, experiencing, playing little kids, you know, toddlers to, you know, executives hanging out, you know, as peers in this community. You don't see that when you go to a Microsoft store. You don't see that oftentimes when you go to any any of the big box stores. But uh, I think it still uh, awestrucks me when I when I see that because that engagement and that connect that connection of of like you know it's literally it's like a a, a brotherhood and sisterhood of um, you know, coming together and the philosophy that Steve Jobs, you know, charted out, you know, it didn't just happen in the universe. It was, you know, purposely done. And yeah. on, on my, one of my first episodes, I interviewed Al Alcorn, who is the creator of, of Pong and then working for Atari. He hired Steve Jobs. Right. Right. And wandered yeah. in and hired him and thought this kid has no credentials. In fact, he has no experience whatsoever. And hired him back uh, after he, you know, and he did a couple other things and odd jobs and came back and 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 
And the other Steve, Steve Wozniak, would come hang out at Atari with Steve Jobs. And Al would stand back and just say, okay, so I guess the kid can't really do his job. He has to bring his friend in. And then when they were getting ready to create ultimately what became Apple, uh, he was given an opportunity, you know, to invest. And of course he, he didn't. So um, I thought that was just a very delightful story to hear the back end, you know, early, early days of Steve Jobs before he became that person in that persona. But he did walk in with confidence and swagger. And if, and if you take a listen to that particular story in the interview I have with him, I was just enamored by, by the, um, it was very fresh in sincerity of the of the mentoring a very young Steve and how yeah. he took it personally. Yeah, I uh, I will tune in. I have listened to other episodes of the podcast and I highly, highly recommend it. It just uh, the the underlying point is that everybody, every business has the backstory, all of that stuff that happened before it happened. And and there are so many lessons in those stories that you draw out and they're stories that are applicable to us in in our business and 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 that's a good transition because uh, the one of the things that happens when i talk about steve jobs and when i share stories of apple which are instructive for for any business person, but I get a little pushback sometimes. Well, that's Apple. That's a $2 trillion company. What does that have to do with me? So let's talk for a moment without talking about Apple, about what you mean by humanizing a business. What, what does it mean for the startup tech company, the coach, the consultant, the solopreneur, anyone who is out there, what are we talking about when we talk about humanizing a business? Yeah, I always start, you know, when I work with companies, I, I don't work with the unicorns for the most part. I do have publicly traded companies that I work with and work with as they, they start out and then ultimately over time they become, you know, publicly traded. But I like to call them the acorns. And when I talk to these young, younger companies that have these big ideas or they've had a product on the market for, say, a year and they're getting ready to go to the market, you, you have to start out as is and look at the back end story. What was that? What was the ultimate moment in which the individual or team decided that they were going to put all their chips on the table, that they were going to, you know, sell their car, mortgage their house, you know, borrow money from family members, any and everything they took because they have such conviction to bring something to market, right? And I think that that is kind of a classic entrepreneurial, you know, type of a persona. But I think what the the human component really comes into understanding, like going back to their childhood, you know, were they playing with Legos? Were they tinkering with cars? Were they f hanging out at the airport, you know, with the family member? Did they win a science fair? What was that moment in which they've actually had something? And then I just spoke to somebody a couple of days ago, came from India at age 17 with nothing but a, a, a visa and hope. And he, he didn't like school and he ultimately ended up creating a drone company, but mm. he was constantly tinkering and, and finding found objects. He put a magnet in the back of his bicycle and trolled around the streets of India, collecting metal and anything he can get his hands on. And to me, being able to take that 
moment in which he made that connection with his community. He made a connection with his, you know, with his classmates. He even charmed his teachers because his, he was he was failing in school. But when he came to the United States, all that came with him, all that, you know, he was basically in that kind of pre entrepreneurial phase of his life. But when he came to the U.S., he immediately saw, OK, so I don't speak English very well, but I actually I'm on the verge of excellence. I know that something is about to happen. And so as he started engaging with people at, of all places, a, uh, a Dairy Queen, where he learned English, he then started pushing his relationships and the communication about and learning about technology from his customers. And so to me, that was such an authentic uh, way of, of being able to dis- discover uh, you know, that why it really mattered, you know, and it was no happy accident. He ended up in a part of, of Florida, which is known for its swans. And he's fascinated with things that fly. And so mm. I just have to kind of stand back and look at all that. And I said, okay, so what, now that you actually have a product and you're taking your product to market, that human interaction and factor becomes really, really key. And so when when I sit down with my clients, either whether I'm working on a napkin sometimes, or uh, we have a whiteboard or sometimes a laptop or whatever, it's really taking them back in that journey. Why? Before it happened. And that ultimately becomes part of the positioning in the story narrative to humanize them. Because yep. you, I, you, you know, because you're a former news reporter as well as myself, and if you try to create something that's not authentic, people are going to fill. They're going to know. Yep, I I agree with you 100%. And you're talking about humanizing through discovering the origin story. What makes that founder tick? What were the inspirations? What were the epiphanies? What were the hurdles they had to clear? All of those are are critical. But there was a detail also that you shared with uh, describing this person working at the Dairy Queen, talking to others, listening to them, understanding what they might want, what they might need. And and I tie that back to a line that that was in your bio that you shared with me, that, that you are telling stories, sharing stories of the founders' inspirations and motivations and so forth of how they came to change the line is change our world for the better. And I love that because when we talk about storytelling and talk about the origin story, one of the great mistakes that a lot of business people make is they, you know, say, blah, 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 me, 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 my story, my story, my story. And they never connect it or the story of their products and services to what makes their prospects tick? How are they changing our world, their prospects, their customers' world for the better? And the origin story only matters to the extent that it reflects back on and and ultimately feeds the needs and the desires of the market that that founder chooses to, to serve. And so I love the fact that the, the that listening to customers, learning about them, um, is is part of the story. And ultimately, the the storytelling 
when I'm coaching my clients about storytelling, we move, we, we, we talk about the origin story, but then we begin to say, well, how does this story relate to the customer and the prospect story? And only as those dots connect, does the full story begin to, to take shape. Um, you know, and listening one, is so key. People often mm-hmm. respond, they don't listen. And even at the grocery store, I'm, I, you know, I turn my phone off. I try to be respectful in the, in the COVID era when, you know, being in a mask and stuff, you have already have one less uh, communications, you know, vehicle. So uh, I, I have to do say, you know, more than the weather, you know, and, and have a, a, a actual engagement conversation with the clerk or the salesperson when I'm going. Otherwise, I don't have an experience, right? And and the experience is so important and someone is not actually part of what the this press conference that you described. You know, I wasn't there, you weren't there, but you brought, took us into a, a feeling of that experience. The same way if you go into a barbershop, you're going to have experience. If you go into a mechanic, it's an experience. If you see what kids do with cardboard boxes, and we all know kids are fascinated, you know, whether a holiday, birthday, and they see cardboard boxes and the imagineer in them just accelerates, right? And that's the same thing that that I feel when I'm actually talking to innovators and, and futurists, is they're looking at the not the obvious, they're looking at not, you know, not possible, they're looking at the impossible. And when you actually can look through a lens of impossibility and nothing, you know, and anything is possible, and you apply the, you know, being bold and fearless. And, you know, one of the challenging things I think is, is this relevant? Does somebody else already invent this? How do I, how do I know this isn't done or this is just going to be better? But I think one of the things that, that childhood curiosity comes into play and people like you and I need to start peeling back that onion in those conversations so that we give them to the point where they're like, oh, I didn't even see the possibility of that story. We had to daisy chain certain things together that they might have forgotten because they've been so busy on getting their education, getting their funding, you know, raising their kids, and then mm-hmm. now getting them to step back and reflect. And I think uh, I would say 99.9% of the time when I work with somebody and when I interviewing guests for my show, there's this moment where they go, oh, I didn't even see the connection. Yeah, yeah, Uh, that's a beautiful thing. And I love your your reference to childhood curiosity. And, And I talk often about childhood creativity, because when we talk about the things that that we're discussing here, being more creative, bringing humor in, humanizing, not being all just so business-like and serious, the the pushback I'll often hear is, well, I'm not a very creative person. You're asking me to, to do something I'm just not suited to do. I'm not a storyteller. I hear I hear that all the time. And my response is, we're all storytellers. We're human beings. Human beings are natural born storytellers. Human beings are naturally creative. And we just have to remember how that it it's how we were as children, naturally curious, naturally creative, building forts out of cardboard boxes, uh, creating things because nobody was telling us not to. Nobody was making us check those those impulses when we were young and what happens is the 
I believe that the the rules, the the boundaries within the classroom, the boundaries of speak when you're spoken to, you know, as a child, and all the little things that begin to dampen down our natural enthusiasm and creativity, ultimately uh, bury that well deep in our souls. And I. I, I'm I'm glad. I mean, this will sound funny, but I'm glad that there are people like you, Donna, and me who are helping business people realize that no, 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 you you can discover these things. Um, let's let's go through the work of drawing your own story out, connecting with uh, others, expressing it in a creative way. Um, it, it's so important in reminding people that, that they had it as children. They still have it. They just have to go find it. Yeah. It's like the AT&T commercials where the, the, the adult is in the kindergarten room talking to the kids about service plans and the kids <laughs> give them a very honest answer. I think that's another component is being authentic and honest. And, yeah. and as you get older and children go from, you know, discoveries, you know, to having opinions and, 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 um, maybe being a little jilted in some cases over time, I right. think, I've made an observation in general the last couple of years, and it's just interesting um, going out, you know, into public and in, in the pandemic is that people look down and they look no higher than their waist up. Then they seldom look up. And to me, that's one of these, these when you talk about curiosity and being situationally aware of your surroundings, there's often a story. So I fly, I'm a private pilot. I love to fly. So I have to be situated well all the time. I mean, when you drive a car, you do too. But when you're out and about and having conversations or you're stumbling into the Apple store at the mall, uh, if you look around and observe what people are doing and the children that are, you know, showing their parents how the wonderment of using something, but looking up and seeing what's happening, like that movie, you know, there's a movie out right now that's very popular and don't look up. And I finally watched it and I thought it was interesting because people get so distracted or so far and, and, you know, having their constantly looking at their phone, they could walk across the street and almost get hit by an autonomous vehicle and wouldn't even know it just hit them because they're, they're not paying attention to their, to their surroundings. And so when you go to a new country or you try a new restaurant, those are, eventful, you know, scenarios of storytelling, because now you're in the story and it's beginning yep. to unfold in that experience. So I always look people and said, when was the last time you looked up? Yeah. When was I the last time that. that you discovered something in your own community? Don't tell me because things are shut down. There's nothing to do. Oh, by the way, did you know there's a Japan town? Did you know there's like a, an old historic, you know, uh, you know, house that, you know, that had an underground library and a movie theater and, you know, and back in the in, in, in the 30s and 40s, uh, there's stories in our own communities that we need to rectify and keep alive. Mm -hmm. And if you look at other cultures outside of the United States, I have kissed the Blarney Stone. Maybe that's part of my thing. But <laughs> the Irish storytellers and folklore, folkloric stories in Asia and 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 in Europe, um, 
there's a reason why the melting pot stories and coming to the North America have become mm. so well lived and the just so type of stories, I think will continue because people like us, the oral tradition and taking the oral tradition, but putting it in, applying it into technology is a form of it's, it's no different than when I was a kid going out with my my uh, my uncles, um, sometimes my father doing community paper reporting, you know, you typically don't see an eight-year-old child going on assignment, you know, with it and learning, you know, and that was my, 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 my playground, my after-school um, daycare was learning how to be a news reporter. And to me, I, at the time, I wasn't thinking I was a news reporter. I was just thinking, you know, I was just go out and I learned cool stuff and I like to write. And, and that is that same curiosity that I, I strive to have. To, you know today and so it's like it's like training for a, a, a sport if you train for a, a particular event and you train really hard then you stop then you lose it it's the same thing with storytelling if you, yeah. you don't keep keep it and you, we can distill from other things right other things in time um and so i think that's the other key responsibility as a storyteller is we need to help abstract content but we yeah. also need to help the person who has the story realize there's a story that they and that we are helping them unearth that maybe they buried or tried to forget. Mm -hmm. Very, very true. There, there were many, many important things that you said in in just the last couple of minutes. One of them is is just this notion that you sort of have to train, you have to develop a habit. And there's there's a book I was uh, I was double checking the name of it a moment ago called The Art of Noticing by Rob Walker, um, where he shares 131 uh, uh, ways to spark creativity to notice. And one of the ways he said is go for a walk and look up and make note of what you notice. And the the point of all of this is is that we don't discover the stories and we don't find the creativity that we need to bring to our our marketing and, and to our lives in general unless we are focused on drawing those things out. Look up, don't look down. Think about, notice, listen, pay attention. You can't be empathetic if you're not noticing and and we are all trapped in our heads, trapped in our phones, trapped in our own little um, little lives. And and unfortunately, I, I don't know what it was like uh, 30, 40 years ago, but I, I suspect it might have been easier because all of the distractions were not as intense. Today, you have to be focused and habitual and listen to advice like Donna just gave. Look up, think, develop strategies, develop habits um, so that you can pay attention to the world around you and see the stories that are there. Not just your own story, but your prospect story, your customer story, the story of the place in which you're operating. And those are all the things that will help you connect with the world around you and build a business. Yeah, absolutely. I read something the other day, and I don't know the exact source, but it said on average, an American family spends about two hours a week together. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. And I thought that that meant not 
connected, not distracted by all the things that were that, you know, TV and digital content and or games. Because oftentimes I, I will see this myself is I'll go visit somebody and their kids are or at a restaurant, I see it too. And their kids are on some device and dinner's about to start, but the kids don't get off the device. And I'm like, get off the device. So when I was a child, <laughs> we had, my my father would could go to work and literally my mother and father wouldn't speak until my father came back home that evening. They didn't, they weren't connected or tethered to anything. And they ended up being married for almost 57 years uh, or they were married 57 years. Um, probably because they, they they had more to celebrate and talk and share when they were together. And as a family, we would have current events, like name one great thing that happened to you today and one thing that you would have liked to change. And that was kind of commonplace because then as a family, we could communicate and connect. And I reflected on that recently because I realized what my father was really doing was trying to keep us to, as a family, link together and share different current events and things that have happened or a thought or an idea. Uh, and there was, you know, six of us at dinner every night until I was around 11. And that was like a really big part of, of just my, Oh, okay. This is a thing that you too. And I continued that tradition with my kids. It's like TVs off devices are off phones off, you know, and we used to have phone wars and I know every parent probably has had some form of phone war, yeah. but it was the way that you could at least share the stories of the day. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's about being deliberate and systematic and committed to paying attention, listening and connecting. And unfortunately we live in a world today where we can't take that for, for granted. We kind of, um, so many of us have to force ourselves to do it because we've become habitual doing just the opposite of putting yeah. our face in, in phones. Next time you go to a restaurant, everyone, uh, just as an exercise in noticing, look around and pay attention to how many people are disengaged. How many, you'll, you'll see anytime you walk in a restaurant, unless it's empty because of COVID these days, um, you will see four people at a table, none of whom are connected. They're all. And I can guarantee you it's going to taste so much better without the distraction. <laughs> absolutely absolutely and um uh oh my goodness i i lost my train of thought um so so when you when you dive in with a new client um where do you typically begin what what does the process look like for humanizing the business drawing the stories out um making those connections? How, how does it all start when somebody goes to work with Donna? Depending on how much patience they have, because sometimes they need to do this very quickly, like within, you know, a matter of, of days versus months, which would be nice. But I have known, been known to launch companies in 10 days, uh, yeah. which I don't recommend <laughs> and, and, and highly successful in doing so. But um, is, is starting with the discovery process and looking at the relevancy. Are you relevant? Um, is is what, what you presented to me, the, you know, going to rival something that's already in the market? Is it a disruptor or is it a challenger type of, you know, a, a, a product or, or solution? Um, are, you, are you willing to be bold and, and fearless? Um, are you able to be like the Steve Jobs and just with that confidence, put down the moniker and 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 being able to, you know, just rub Elon Musk is very good at that, too. He, you know, he is very bold, sweeping statements about things. Not everybody wants to do that. Uh, also to think out of the box. 
Um, and so we talked about the box earlier, the childhood box, but it's a little bit like that is imagine the possibilities, like what application, for example, uh, electric motorcycle company that I work with, it is a high performance electric motorcycle, but I look at that and my takeaway was, okay, well, that's cool that it has all this, you know, technology and innovation, but it's really about sustainability and it's about climate change and it's about changing the future and it's about changing the future and th in which are the, the next generations are going to be part of. And that's a bigger story than just a really cool, which it is high performance, you know, high, highly connected motorcycle. And I worked with the motorcycle helmet company and it, the story I shaped was, about, you know, what is the price of your head? Not about the safe, the connecting and safety, because no motorcycle helmet in the world, regardless, and I've ridden motorcycles, a motorcycle helmet can prevent. It's not 100% guarantee. So what is what was the importance of that story was really drawing out that, that you know, the eyes in the back of your head are now going to allow you to keep the price of your head at a very high price. Mm -hmm. um, and then being able to listen to the market, right? So we're talking about engaging and listening to each other, but we also need to know what's happening into the market. So recently I started working with a company that a doctor, a medical doctor, very, um, very established orthopedic surgeon who has brought hundreds of products to market and for medical grade products, but he brought his first consumer grade product to market, which is a UV based uh, hand sanitizer device. So instead of using all the sanitizers, you know, wipes and sprays and and wiping and 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 swiping everything down, he came up with a take what they use in the hospital and surgery, and a low grade UV and made it very accessible for the rest of us. And it's an app and it's a device that fits in the back of your phone. Huh. But and just going through the whole the conversation discovery with him and understanding his back end story i mean he has six kids so i thought well that's interesting you have six kids you create it for the rest of us but you know having six kids on tow to constantly keep you know their noses wiped and the tissue around and then the kids go to the classroom was a really a story about well what advice would you have to other parents and how would this actually factor into the classroom the application in which it could be used at schools or at home or on the go with families, daycare, that to me was the taking the innovation and applying it into a real world scenario, which makes it much more tangible for you and I, because I'm if I travel, I'm a businessman, this is a useful device. If I'm a, a mom on the go all the time and I'm a soccer, you know, or a vampoo mom, this is great. I'm have kids in and out of my car. If I'm, if I'm a healthcare worker and I'm gonna be around, you know, you know, and amongst you know germs all the time. This is going to be ninety nine point nine percent preventative and protective. So yep. again, it's like listening. You know, okay, hand sanitizer is running out. This is a life ongoing product that you don't need to keep replenishing because it's always there. And I think that goes to the next piece, which is agility, knowing exactly what's happening in the market, being being agile when the market changes. So all of a sudden we go, you know, we go to a post, you know, COVID era and and, and nobody needs hand sanitizer. And, you know, we don't, we change, we shift again. Well, where's the new market opportunity that you can captivate on? Maybe it's just a travel industry and it's not everybody uh, being able to, you know, to know your competition is going to be really key in that. So looking for, I call it cameo moments in which you can 
you can you can immediately run uh, to uh, I've Nightscope Robotics is a a crime crime fighting robotics company. They autonomous robots that actually help law enforcement and, and local municipalities. I can't even say it, municipalities. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, and even all the way up to the FBI helping solve crimes. The human interaction and component with people and robots. When people see these robots at shopping malls or at sports events, they come up and they hug the little roly poly robot. Ah, and and yeah. yeah, and and so being able to see that human connection and seeing that people have to learn to adapt and then ultimately adopt technology. And that when we bring something new and emerging to market, we can't just assume that everyone's going to accept and embrace it. Yep. Do you remember the Billy Bass fish that people bought and they <laughs> hung up on their wall for, uh-huh. I don't know how much many people spend in that thing. I saw yeah. one on a garage sale recently and for a giggle, I bought it for two bucks yeah. because I never had one, but I saw people who had them. I'm like, why would you want that? Does it sing, and- take me to the river? <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to give it as a gag gift to somebody that probably is not going to know what it is, but it it's, it's just that, we talk about humor from the beginning, right? How yeah. important it is to have humor. To me, this was just such an obscure thing that I found that I know somebody in my mix is going to appreciate appreciate the fact that I actually thought, okay, I think that you know, this person needs to have this, this in their yeah. life, and yeah. and be able to look look at some of these kind of nonsense things that have come to market. And we go to uh, trends and phases, right? I have a philosophy I call ego engineering versus innovation, which was with ego engineering, you can tell me 20 times full um, the importance of something. But if it really is not purposeful for me and it's not going to help me, it's like opening a jar of peanut butter. Mm-hmm. If you can't open it, then you maybe I give it to you and you open it. If you can't open it, you get out the spoon and maybe you try to pop it open. Or, But it always is going to open the second time around. And so I think oftentimes we we get kind of stuck on things, literally stuck, um, and and thinking that oh, this is such a brilliant idea. And I have p- passed on many ideas that look like they could be, you know, brilliant, but there was already three or four of them in the market. And yep. so in, in, in to be able to challenge that was you know really hard. The true innovator and the person who's really tra- you know looking at our best interests in the future and creating products that are going to augment and to assist and help and enable and help in everything from smart devices, which can help people become, you know, more aware or secure or mobile um, or safe, right? Those are devices that have some form of purpose and meaning for us. I think when products oftentimes get stuck on the peace of mind message, it's like, well, whose peace of mind? Because <laughs> right. the really bass fish is not really anything that's going to give right. me peace of mind. And yeah. and that's pretty low tech in the spectrum. But if you go into a big box store and you just look at at um, ear, ear, earbuds or, or, or headphones, uh, there's going to be something for every generation, right? There's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Beats, which are really for the younger generation. And, and when they first came out, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. They have red. I want red ones. And um, but the quality, eh, you know, not so as, good, as great as like the Bose ones I have on, but mm-hmm. you know, the, the teams wouldn't pass those things up. Right. And right. so I think being able to understand the difference between something that we really need 
and, and desire an object of beauty and, and coveted product. If you look at, again, going back to the app reference, I think that's one of the reasons why that community is so strong is they are beautifully designed and they are aesthetically pleasing. And, and so people are attracted to that. And I think that the, you know, being able to have that curate that as, as an experience that I work with the electric tractor company until you see the electric tractor in operation, mm-hmm. anything I tell you about that tractor is just going to be, you know, it's going to maybe be interesting, but when you actually see a truly autonomous electric tractor do work that would take typically a laborer uh, and a tractor operator, it's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. that's the, and, and that is not ego driven. That is innovation driven. Yeah, and what what you've been talking about is the the business founder, the creator, understanding and leaning into the needs of the market. It's not relevant. It's not purposeful. It's not valuable unless that's in the eye of the customer. And so you, as the business owner and the creator, have to do all these things that we've been talking about. You have to notice, you have to listen, you have to know what it is they need, what it is they want. And, you know, I, I often will tell the story of a company that's uh, selling snow tires and at the lowest level of marketing, they'll, they'll talk about, Oh, our, our tires have the um, rain sucking uh, uh, rain grooves. All right. Well, that's marketing one-on-one. That's a feature, not a benefit. <laughs> okay. Um, but so what's the benefit? Well, the benefit is that, well, it pulls the water from the road. So you get better traction. Okay. That's, that's all right. But really in the end, if you distill it down, there's a story underneath it that you get to if you talk to the market, if you ask why people buy this product. And and it might be because I don't want to grip the wheel so tight that my knuckles hurt every time I'm driving on a rainy road. Or when my kid is, my teenage kid is out late at night and I hear a rumble of thunder, I don't want to be staring at the ceiling worrying that uh, my kid might not get home safely. And so understanding the utility of a product and whether there's room in the marketplace is about understanding the, the stories and the emotions and the needs of the marketplace. And that's what you've been talking about. And, and, uh, we see very much eye to eye on this. Uh, absolutely. Well, and I think the next generation, if I encourage anything for um, high school, college kids that are looking for a career, I have asked people like, well, where do you start? So writing, um, being, you know, re- an avid reader, being able to explore the world um, within your own community and, and outside your zip code. I think travel is one of the best education and be able to take all this uh, life experience and, and, and writing experience and applying it into, there's a lot of great, good writers. It's hard to go from good to great. Mm-hmm. And I have an intern as an example, who I'm so delighted to have on my team because she is just passionate about writing. And she's also willing to uh, communicate one-on-one <laughs> human interaction uh, and not hide behind text and, and uh, all the other digital things. And that's really rare. So I have a lot of hope for the Zoomers that are, you know, coming up in the ranks, getting ready to go off in an, or in college and at that next level and, and, and the younger millennials, because I do think that storytelling is, is 
is going to be even more of a necessity as we continue to bring all these great products and technologies to market. We have to look at the history. We have to be reflective. And we also need to ensure that if we want people to adapt and to adopt, then we need to listen and we need to make sure that all these things come together. So having in my field, a thirstiness for technology and innovation and it goes all the way back to when I was a kid hanging out at the airport with my father and and tinkering in the garage and reading his popular mechanics and popular science books. Uh, I, I'm really excited when I see young kids know how to code and know how to do, you know, uh, take this STEM educational uh, push, I think is great because we took so many things out and now we put them all back in. And, and so they should have never been taken out in the first place, right. but it's kind of like back, back to basis. So I have hope, you know, for the next generations to come on, you know, crafting stories and, and leading that curiosity factor. I do too. And uh, the, the one piece of advice that I would add is that if you want to nurture your curiosity, uh, you have to listen, you have to pay attention. And that starts with putting your phone in your pocket. I think that's good advice for all of us, young people, old people, in between. Put the phone in the pocket and and look up and uh, and pay attention. Um, so, Donna, how can people find you? Where? For, let's start with the podcast first. Tell everybody again the name of your podcast and where they can go to find it. Yeah, it's called Before It Happened, and on Instagram, it's the Before It Happened Show. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Donna Laughlin, and that's spelled L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N. And my business is lmgpr.com, which stands for Leadership, Momentum, and Growth, which is ultimately what we want to achieve when we tell a great story. Yeah, amen to that. And and go find that podcast. And of course, if you listen to the podcast and you enjoy what you hear, please post a review. That's how people... I, I ask the same if you uh, are enjoying this episode of this podcast, please post a review. That's how other people discover it and how we share the love. So go check out Donna's podcast, give it a thumbs up, give it a good review. Um, it deserves it. I've, I've listened to many episodes. I enjoy it very much and I highly recommend that you check it out. Donna, thank you so, so much for spending time with us today. Really enjoyed the conversation and, and uh, I hope our paths cross down the road. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And and I, I think, Tom, I think your audience is going to just learn so much from your show. I know I have. Ah, thank you for that. Thanks for listening to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. If you liked what you heard today, visit storypowermarketing.com slash resources, where you can sign up for Tom's entertaining, informative, must-read emails, download free business-building resources, and discover other opportunities to help you harness the power of storytelling. That's storypowermarketing.com slash resources to help you captivate prospects, inspire them to act, and grow your business with greater ease and joy. Also, please remember to subscribe to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Sometimes
I need. 